Welcome to The Growing Band Director, the podcast that dives into topics applying to all of us band directors. My name is Kyle Smith, and joining me is my friend and colleague, Jeff Smith. Together, we discuss many aspects of the school band program, including how to build your concert, jazz, and marching programs, as well as everything else we do as band directors. More importantly, we'll discuss concepts that help us all improve our own programs every day. Always remember the famous quote by Ray Kroc, when you're green, you're growing, and when you're ripe, you rot. Let's get started. Before we start, I just had a couple comments on my mind of things that I wanted to share with you guys of some lessons I've learned that have been very, very useful. First lesson. I learned this from Dr. Tim Lotzenheiser at Midwest Convention a few years ago, and it was something like this. Kids will remember how you made them feel. They won't remember what you taught them. They'll remember how they felt when they were in your presence. In 15 years, that's what they'll remember. They won't remember, you know, what a G major 7 chord is, possibly. Now, if they go on and use that information in their professional lives, well, that obviously they will remember that stuff. But the majority of students, it's about how you make them feel when they're in your band. And he demonstrated this to us very well. We were in, at Midwest, and those of you who've been there, you in one of these huge ballrooms, and he says, everybody stand up. I'm going to show you this. So we all stood up, about 750 people, all of us band directors. And he said, we're going to sing Auld Lang Syne. Here's your starting note. And he's, he hummed it, and we started singing Auld Lang Syne. We sang the first two A's. And then we got to the bridge of the tune, and he just screams the word harmony. And out of this comes this amazing, like 750-piece harmony <laughs> of Auld Lang Syne. And I got chills. I was next to my wife, and she got chills. And it was just this amazing experience that I still get chills thinking about. And he, afterwards, he said, you will not remember probably anything that I said today, but you'll remember that experience. And that always taught me that. And Dr. Tim, I, I thank you very much for that. There was also a great episode of the After Sectionals podcast that just came out called High Expectations. And if you listen to nothing else in a podcast, if you listen to about minute 12 to minute 20 of that. It is the absolute key to teaching. It's all about, well, you're going to have to check it out. It's so good. I was listening. I was like, whoa, this is what it's all about as a teacher. So check out that most recent episode. I think it was from second week of March, something like that. It's called High Expectations of the After Sectionals Podcast. It is so, so, so good. The next thought I had was, when you're teaching something, let's make sure we never skip a step. Never skip a step. And the story I have with this comes from when I was in college and I was just teaching these two young trumpet players. They were both very beginners and their parents had paid for private lessons. Excuse me, there was three of them. So I got to teach three kids 15 bucks a piece for half an hour. I mean, now it's 45 bucks in half an hour. That was pretty good for a college kid. So I said, yeah, bring them in. So they came into the university and and I would teach them. And, you know, we'd go months and months and months. And two kids were flying through the book. And this third trumpet player couldn't do anything but play a C. No matter what fingers he pressed down, he played C. 
over and over. So as a young teacher, I did everything I knew how to do at that time. I had him sing it. I had him whistle it. I had him um, hum it. I had him buzz it. I had him, I did everything I could and I couldn't get him to play anything other than C. So after, you know, it's May and clearly his two friends are cruising and we've been going for about seven months and this boy couldn't do anything and he was getting really dejected. And one day, one day, I had said something in their lesson, and he looked up to me with this big look and said, so are you saying that as the notes go higher in the staff, they're supposed to sound higher? And I looked at him and I said, yes, that's absolutely what happens. And then in that moment, I realized I had failed him because I never used that phrase. I didn't tell him that the notes are supposed to sound higher. And then instantly he played the first six notes of the C scale. And I realized that because I skipped that simple, simple step in the beginning, I had cost him his development. Well, thankfully, he, he caught up as quick as he could, but that, that story I will continue to share. That boy was very resilient. And I have this, this phrase I just heard about being resilient because, you know, band directors either have it or they don't in a lot of ways. They have that get it done attitude or they make excuses for things. So these resilient people, the phrase I heard was, they only worry about what they can control and not what they can't control, right? So don't worry about what you can't control. You can't control that. Worry and don't only worry about what you can control. And that's gonna help you become more resilient. Another lesson I learned from Dr. Tim was about leadership. And if you don't know anything about um, developing leaders in your school, the, the name to look up is Dr. Tim Lotzenheiser. He has tons of stuff about that, and he is very, very inspirational. But one of his most famous sayings, which I heard again last week and I wanted to share with you guys, is don't look for other people to change first. Right, if you're in a program and you want things to get better, you be the change. You make the choice to change something for the good of the program. For example, if your brass players, my brass players coming back from pandemic, didn't have as strong faces for obvious reasons as before we, before we shut down. Now we had done band classes over Zoom and we had oh, I'd stayed engaged with them and done ensembles and things, but they hadn't done lip slurs and long tones the way we normally would. So in my head I said, okay, my brass players need to be stronger it's on me to make that change, right? So be the change, and, and to do that, we did now do lip slurs, long tones, every single day to make sure that they get stronger. And we make sure they know the reason we're doing that is to improve your, your strength and your tone and your dynamic level and all those things. So be the change. If there's something that you wish would change about your organization, work to change it. Maybe you can't do it on your own, or maybe you can't do it right away. But have, you know, do something. Maybe your change is, man, I really wish we were on YouTube. I really wish that, um, you know, we could do that. Well, I bet you with all your parents, there's somebody who's willing to make that happen for you or to help you. Or going back to an episode a couple, couple weeks ago, you know, I really wish we had a really great website. Well, don't be lazy. Like, learn how to do it, right? And, and when you can start that process of making a change. Look, if you can be a band director, 
you can do almost anything in life, right? I mean, what's that famous saying? Um, Band director, because freaking miracle worker isn't the job title, right? I mean, we know how to get things done. We don't want to be lazy. If there's something you want to change about your, about your band, you change it first. And then last, last thing I want to share with you before we get on to our conversation with Tom Lazad and Jeff Smith, two of the wisest music educators I have ever been around. And I, I know you're going to really enjoy this. We had a great, really great opportunity to have a good conversation. Um, is this quote I just heard, and you know what? I have found it every single day to be totally true, especially as a band director. You know, you get up those days and you're like, oh, I have that class today. Oh, that boy this, or oh, that girl this, or oh man, like, again, like we get so tired and sometimes you get frustrated and you're like, I just want X, Y, and Z and why can't my kids blah, 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 blah. And this phrase is really perfect. It just says, you have the choice every day to choose what kind of day you're going to have. You have the choice every day to choose what kind of day you're going to have. So that means, you know, when you meet adversity that day, are you expecting it? Are you going to stay positive? Because you know your kids aren't perfect and you're not perfect and your school isn't perfect. So why would you expect the perfect day? If you can just have that attitude every day that, you know what? I'm going to have a great day today. I'm really looking forward to what this is going to bring me. And remember, you know, you're teaching musicians, but more importantly, you're teaching people. You're teaching the future society. You have lawyers and doctors and people who are going to pump gas and teachers and nurses and every other profession in your band right now. That famous quote that John Wooden quotes, I, I, forget, I forget the name of the poem, but, you know, they ask me why I teach. And if you want an inspirational poem, check that one out. It's called, you ask... They ask me why I teach, and it is just totally profound. If you can keep that in your head about what that poem says about who you're teaching in the future and having the best attitude every single day to just know, hey, guess what? I'm going to have a great day today. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be a great day. It really is empowering. All right, Jeff, so we're going to talk about care and maintenance of reeds, saxophone and clarinet reeds. Um, a lot of us band directors are brass players or percussionists, and we know what we've been taught. But just today, I, I learned that you should soak the thick half of the reed so that that is the right thickness and you get a better seal as you put the ligature on. Like, I had never heard that before. Um, now, whether or not you agree with that, I have no idea. But uh, I'm curious as to all things reeds. Let's go. Well, I think reeds are... Come, you, every kid needs to have a clip. Clip needs to hold four reeds. When they push, start the reeds, to take all four reeds and they put them in a little saucer with water and let them soak there for a little while. Then they go and play all four reeds, dry them off, and put them in the clip overnight. Then the next day they play reed one, reed two, reed three, reed four for about four days, five days, and then they start rank ordering them, which is their best, their second best, their third best, and fourth best. And then they need to own a piece of 3M extra fine waterproof sandpaper. Hmm. And they need to once a week just lightly sand the back of the reed in one direction to make sure it stays flat on the platen. Because as the reed gets wet, 
where it goes into the opening of the mouthpiece, it swells and makes a bubble there so that it isn't flat and won't lay on the mouthpiece properly. The other thing is when they put their reed on, the biggest problem I find of reed players is that they put their reed on the mouthpiece and then they slam their ligature down and they chip the tip off. Yeah. Put your ligature on first and slip the butt of the reed underneath and then make sure that the reed is aligned side by side and is either even or slightly below the tip of the mouthpiece. And, and then make sure you high level, right? So you, you have the right perspective. As right. To you've got to do it at a side and look at it sideways. Don't look at it from the front, but look on the side. Okay. And then the ligature needs to be a tenth of an inch from the high point of the mouthpiece after the vamp. So many kids put their ligatures on so low that it makes the reed not function properly. And reed care is the biggest problem with reeds. And the other thing is to tell parents, buy a box of reeds and keep a box of reeds in the house to dole them out in groups of four. As the kid gets older, they'll do it themselves. And uh, I used to go to Sam Ash down in White Plains and I'd buy six boxes of reeds every two months. And just have reeds lined up all over the place. My mother would get so mad. What's this here for? I'll give it a week or two. It'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And you've got to maintain and care for your reeds. But I think the biggest thing is getting them wet. They need to soak them. And then when they're finished after they're playing, wipe them off thoroughly with their fingertips and put them back in the clip. Buy a cheap Lavaz plastic reed clip. They, they carry their black and gr or gray and they hold four reeds. It keeps the reed flat so that you don't get the warp. And if you do get the wiggly warp on the tip, just put it in your mouth, don't suck on it. Put it in your mouth and just collect saliva up in the roof of the mouth and let the saliva just go around the reed. And so, that I think- So what I was, I was taught by a great saxophone player, his method, you know, everybody, even great woodman players all have different things with reeds, right? I heard that Jerry Mulligan like didn't care. He just took it, put it on and just played, right? Um, some people are very particular about it. I heard that some people actually physically soak the whole reed in water. They like yeah. let it live there. And then, um, but some people say just, just wet it with your mouth. Right. Um, so I think those are options that are out there, but the big one that we're not good enough with our kids by that, I mean, we, uh, me, um, but my kids know we're trying to get better at it is to leave them enough time after band. You talked about getting it dry because if it gets warpy, right? That's not what we want. So we want it to, if, if they have time to get underwater after rehearsal, say, because you're talking about playing at home, let's pretend we're just in a band class and we right. always take it as late as we can so they can put their stuff away and leave, but we have as much rehearsal time as possible. If you can give them a minute to get it under some water, put it on a paper towel and, or paper, right? And just, and, and dry it off so that it's flat and it goes away flat, then it will last. And I, I don't I don't do the water part at no, the end yeah. because I want my reeds to be the same pH as my saliva. By using water, that changes the pH, which affects the, the vibration of the reed. You've got to think of a reed being like millions of little test tubes. And for the reed to properly vibrate, there needs to be fluid inside the test tubes. The one other thing that we do is we take the butt of the reed and we sand it so it closes it so that the back end of the reed is sealed up so the test tube is all filled with fluid. And then I just dry it with my hand only. I don't use paper. I never put paper near my reed. Hmm. And then I put it in my clip. My clip will just hold the tip flat and it'll dry in time. But 
water, I, I don't do that. I'm more interested in them taking a swab out and cleaning the, the clarinet out and cleaning or saxophone out and cleaning the mouthpiece out and, and saxophone players cleaning the necks out. As you know, sometimes you can sit next to a clarinetist or a saxophone player and the odor is so bad you can't stand sitting next to them because you can tell, you can look at them and say, when was the last time you cleaned your horn? And they'll look at you like a deer in the headlight because they, they haven't. We're just bad. If you're not a reed player, which I'm not, this is something so many of us secretly are bad at because we talk about it a couple times a year, but we don't live it. Right. It's really hard. It's one of those things that that are really hard to live. Um, can we also talk about I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about you introduced me to plastic reeds. So I want to talk about that at some point. Um, I also want to talk about good brands of reeds versus bad brands of reeds. You know, some schools will have all the reeds and they give them the reeds to the kids. Some schools, you know, will say you have to buy your own reeds. It's like a mouthpiece. Right. I think you need to know your community. I think any band director needs to have reads on them. In an emergency, you have to be able to help a kid play, right? So whether or not you encourage them to get their own or not is another story. So can we talk about brands? Okay, I, I'm a purist. I use Van Doren. I use Van Doren V20s, and but all Van Dorens come in a sealed humanic bag. So there hasn't been any dampness getting into the reed. It's been dried and then put in these bags to keep them at no moisture levels. So I suggest band directors use Van Doren's. Plus the Van Doren has a thicker butt. So there's more reed to vibrate in the in the heart of the reed to give better vibration of the reed on the Van Doren's. Now, um, you also have they to cost more. You have to understand there's also some people who have 10,000 students and these students are 10, 11 years old. Like you're not gonna give a kid who can only play two notes on their clarinet a Van Doren reed, correct? Right. And then I'd use Mitchell Lurie. My second backup would be Mitchell Lurie. I, I, I'm not, I know everybody's going to say, well, how about Rico, Rico Royal? Sure, you can use them. But uh, the lasting effect of that Rico or Rico Royal is very short lived. Yeah. Now, I know some replayers are going to disagree with me, and that's fine. It's just my experience. Uh, I, I averaged, I had a high school band of approximately 200 kids. And I usually had about 40 clarinet players and about 25 saxophone players. And we talked reads all the time. And for me, I'd show them how to make a read from a dead, dead blank. Cause for me to graduate from college, I had to get three clarinet blanks and I had to make my own reads for my professor to pass me off my last semester of uh, playing. Please. So uh, you, you learn a lot. There's a great book by Kalman, K-A-L-M-E-N. Opperman, O-P-P-E-R-M-A-N, and that's on the care and adjustment of clarinet reeds. It's applicable to saxophone as well. Great book for every band director to have, especially brass players. There's some things in there you're never going to do, but there's a lot of things in there that's going to help you address the problems of a reed, like a squeaker. You get a squeaker. There are reeds that'll squeak. A lot of times it's because the tip isn't balanced. One side has more wood than the other. And you need to just say to the kid, put that aside and we'll talk about it later and get a different read out. And how often do we have as band directors where a kid has one read in their case? Yeah. And you say, well, where's your other three? So for me, uh, as, a, as a woodwind player, I used to say to my kids, show me your four reads. 
I made every kid buy a read clip. So they all had a read clip. So they show me their four reads anytime. And we'd have pencil check at band in this high school kids. Cause they always had to have a pencil We'd read clip check. Then we'd have, we'd have, um, valve oil check to make sure they all had valve oil that they were, we hope they were using on their brass instruments and slide oil check or a slide spray bottle <coughs> to make sure that they were doing the maintenance. Cause <clears throat> I think that's the one thing the kids get themselves in the most trouble. As, as Joe Betancourt said, you know, maintenance of the instrument will make everything last and go a lot longer. And then plastic reads you're talking about. Yeah. I prefer Le Leger L E G E Exantigu R E read European cut. And I use those for, in three scenarios. Since I play in a lot of pit orchestras, I really don't have time to have, I have four instruments around me and I can't be sucking on the read before I play. I have a measure and a half to put down my Barry sax, pick up my bass clarinet. Then I have to put down my bass clarinet, pick up my clarinet. Then I have to pick up my soprano sax. Then I have to pick my alto and start all over again. I don't have time to get the reeds wet enough to stay. And sometimes they're sitting there for quite a while. So I use plastic reeds and talking with my friends down on um, in New York city, a vast majority of the wooden players are now playing on the um, plastic reeds for that same reason. I also used plastic reeds with my marching band for two reasons. One, you're outside, the cane dries up like crazy, gets brittle and falls apart. Whereas with the Legere's, they, um, they last forever and a kid would have their Legere reading and they'd have their clips of their wooden reeds just to prove to me they have both. And what's, so, the, what, what's the average price of the Legere read? 35 to 38 dollars it's like buying a box of reeds but it, la it lasts like two or three months for instance i teach one of your your lovely students who just made all state she's been playing on the leger reed for during covid through till now and um she does marvelously on it and i, I dare say that unless you knew she was playing on a plastic reed you wouldn't know it yeah and i i, I wouldn't say you know, that that's the end all, but for her and her personal situation, buying one read and then well, she has two of them, having two reads for her is financially a better situation than going out and buying a box of read every year. Yep. And, and the reads actually match the mouthpiece too, right? So if you have a certain kind of mouthpiece, a certain read might be better, whereas a different kind of a mouthpiece might, might fit that better. I hear that a lot in saxophone land. There's actually... Right. You know, jazz mouthpieces and jazz reeds, right? It's like um, there's Jody Jazz, there's Van Doren. What is the Van Doren one that's that's jazz? ZZ, Van Doren ZZ. ZZ you know, and I play I, I play Myers. Yeah, yeah. So but, like, but for people who don't know, there you know, there are people who have their classical setup, right? Their classical mouthpiece with a classical reed, and then they have a jazz mouthpiece with a jazz reed. And if you know. If they're not serious yet or they're not into it, you don't need to go that route. But if they're starting to be serious and their sound isn't what you want in jazz band or in concert band, you know, maybe they're considering considering separate separate reads. Well, yeah. And the other thing is that, you know, a size read is really determined by the tip opening, the width of the tip opening, the big the opening of the chamber, how big the bore is, how big the baffle is. And you can get really scientific about it. But the smaller the tip opening, the harder the reed. The larger the hip tip opening, the softer the reed. Um, I don't like metal mouthpieces. They bother my teeth a lot, so I don't play on metal mouthpieces. What I did with my kids when I taught high school was that I 
they couldn't afford two mouthpieces, jazz and classical. So I had them get a Meyer 5M, which took care of them classically and took care of them jazz wise. And as they, if they were studying privately, maybe they go on and try a different mouthpiece. Um, Someone would try Lynx. Most of them would come back to playing Myers or Morgans and uh, go from there. So uh, the one thing I will say is that if you want to improve your clarinet and saxophone sound, get the kids off of stock mouthpieces. And the first instrument that I have you get them off the stock mouthpieces would be, I'd have you go to one of the Brillharts, particularly Brillhart 3 or 3 Star. And then as the kid grows and gets improved, then I'd move to either the Van Dorn mouthpiece or the Selmer HS single star, HS double star. And then we get to the, the Van Dorns, so B40, B45, B, um, the... Uh, and some, some kids sound good on one and don't sound good on another. And, you know, well, a lot of, a lot and of- I can line up 10 of the same mouthpiece and I'm going to get 10 different sounds. When I went to pick my last mouthpiece, I tried 30 different mouthpieces of the same brand and the same size until I found the one I liked. And it's really important to lo- contact your local dealer or whoever works with you and say, I'd like a mouthpiece kit. What do you sell? I'd like one of everything. And you don't have to pay for it. You just kind of, they loan it to you and kids can try it so that you can get them the best possible result. And what I used to do, what we used to do in my district was that with the three companies that rented us instruments, we made a deal with them. We'll use you as our vendor, but every woodwind instrument will have a Brillhart three-star mouthpiece on it, metal ligature, and they would have a two and a half read. We would never start a kid on a two because, yeah, they'll get a quick sound, but they never learned to breathe properly. And we always found that it pushed them back. We can get them to get a quick sound by moving the tip of the reed below the tip of the mouthpiece just as easily as going to a two, which gives it a, a false read on how they can play. I, there's a very famous high school band director who I won't name from the Midwest who always swore on having his bass clarinets on the softest read possible because he really wanted the really fat, reedy low register. And I know you probably suffer on the upper register, but he always felt like having a really good, big, low sound was why you needed the bass clarinets. Do you agree or disagree? I disagree. I disagree because if we look at today's high school band literature, yeah, they're down there for a while, but now uh, composers, Arrangers have decided that a bass clarinetist has just as much facility up high as a clarinet player playing higher parts. Um, yeah, you'll get you'll get a uh, a fat sound, but it won't be a fat quality sound. If you have the right mouthpiece with the right reed on the right horn, you'll get a student who has a fat sound by how you teach them. And I think part of it in the case of the clarinet is how you teach the kid to warm up and how you teach the kid to get over the register break with a a twelfth. Uh, register uh, extra slur exercise where like they play a low E they hit the register key they get a B they play a low F they hit the register they get a C they play a low C sharp a low F sharp hit the register key they get an, a, a C sharp and just so that they practice doing that and that extends the child's range and it de- deepens the sound and the other thing with bass clarinet is that if you watch 50% of all bass clarinets they have the most god-awful embouchure in the world because nobody's taken the time to teach them how to take the typical clarinet embouchure and modify it to get a good sound. You see them with big puffy cheeks or their chins are sticking out like they got raspberries sticking between their teeth and their lower lip. All right, last question for you. When you put your ligature on, 
do you put do you put screws up facing the ceiling or screws down facing the floor i don't i have <laughs> i put my ligature on with the well it depends if i have a transverse ligature or a forward ligature there's two different types of ligatures there's so, the ones where the screws go towards you Yep. And there's ones that goes to the back of the reed. But the standard back. 30 cent ligature that you buy, you can. Well, then I just up. drop it down in the front. The screws are facing me. Yep. The, yep. the twist is on the right side. I lift it up slightly and I slip my butt of my reed down through. Okay. So let me just tell you what I've heard from other repair people. Okay. And other professionals. Well, first of all, you say, well, the screws facing me for a clarinet or facing <laughs> down for saxophone. I mean, there's pros who've done that for years. It's great. But the, the, they say, but what's happening is you're squeezing in rather than pulling up. So some people swear by turning the screws forward uh, to the top or facing away from you. So then when you tighten it, it really seals the reed quicker and better against the, the, the mouthpiece. Now you're shaking your head. You disagree. But I'm telling you, people that I trust also agree with this. So you have this is, a, this is a transverse ligature. That's with the screws facing away from you on the backside of the mouthpiece. Then there's a regular ligature that faces this way. You know whether you have a transverse ligature or a regular ligature, depending on where the screw, the screw tightening has to be on the right side. So if it's on the right side with the screws facing away, that's a transverse ligature. If it's on the body, your body side, that's not a transverse ligature. That's how you tell the two apart. And, you know, I, I see what they're saying, but the golden rule, as I have learned it from my professors and from playing, is that you want to have the least amount of contact from the ligature on the reed so to allow the entire reed to vibrate as much as possible. So I play on Banad ligatures. Banad ligatures have just a little, two little metal rails, and that's the only thing that touches the reed the whole time. Sounds fancy. No, it's probably the cheapest ligature you can get on the market other than a $2.50 ligature. Yeah, those are the cheapest. <laughs> yeah, but you're, there's going to be a huge difference in sound. For instance, take your bass clarinet player who's playing on a Rovner ligature right now and put her on that $0.25 cent ligature, and you're going to hear a whole different sound from that child. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Most important thing, even as beginning band directors, teach the kids to care about the reeds. Take it off the mouthpiece don't leave it on the mouthpiece you know some people don't care about the type of ligature they don't care about the type of reed they want to get them on the right reed and just get them caring about it and you know show them the mold show them what happens and get your kids doing it if you don't do it it's your own fault right right and if you take the reed off the mouthpiece there's a 50 percent chance that they're going to clean the horn in the mouthpiece and that, and that's 50% of the problem is that they don't clean the horn. And if you've ever taken saw a kid with a reed that never comes off, just pick the reed off and watch that white cream that comes out of that mouthpiece. It's disgusting. Well, on that note, thank you, Jeff. <laughs> thank you. Nice hang with you today. See ya. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Growing Band Director Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your band director friends to subscribe too. 
We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube channel, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, if you have the time, we highly recommend the After Sectionals podcast for more great listening. Thank you for listening to The Growing Band Director. See you next week.